Okay. James says, if you're God's child, act like That's been the theme of a whole book. You got faith? Let me see your works. You got works? Let me see your faith. Because they go hand in hand. Last week we we talked. Um, go back to to verses uh, six. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, God says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he says, draw near to God. Don't laugh about your sinning and your double-mindedness, but mourn and weep. Mourn and weep. Okay. Verse 11. This is our beginning of today. Do not speak against one another, brethren. But he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law or a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? I've had problems with this lesson all week. You've heard me say before, there's some Christians I know I don't necessarily like. <laughs> God told me I had to love them. He said, this commandment I give to you that you love one another. He also said, the world will know because you love one another. And it all comes back this thing to attitude because we have a tendency to judge and to criticize our brothers. Now, we're very discreet when we do this. Let me read a couple of little things now. We might start off with saying, now stop me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but, or we might say, now I don't mean to be critical, but, or perhaps I shouldn't say this about him and her, but I really like so-and-so as a person, but we'll pause 10 seconds for Sason identification. <laughs> Attitude. You've been in my class enough. I've given you this thing about attitude many, many, many times. When I was in the construction business in uh, upstate, I carried a binder like this everywhere I went. I'd have every day what I did, what I had, had to do, what quotes I made, where I messed up, what safety report I needed to write. And in the back of it, of all of them, I had 
this. And I made it my business to once a day open up this back of this binder that I carried everywhere and read what Chuck Swindoll said about attitude. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude is, to me, is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have. That is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Mm -hmm. Good. We said the other day in some of our lessons later that there was a time that every lost person knew what John 3.16 was. The verse that most lost people quote today is Matthew 7.1. Say it. Judge not lest ye be judged. Everybody, every lost person knows that and they're talking to us. James says, don't judge your brother. He says, don't even speak ill about your brother. <clears throat> That's hard for somebody like me. Let's look at Philippians, the second chapter. Turn, turn left in your Bible just a few pages to Philippians, the second chapter. And Paul in Philippians talks about our Lord. Philippians chapter 2, let's begin reading verse 3. Okay? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. Though although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross go back to verses 3 and 4 do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others back to James basically what James is saying here he says there's not but one lawgiver and if you're going to judge you must be God because only God knows the full story only God knows the full story page two is a little handout I gave you Art's going to read about the lady in the black Texas let it sink in the other day I was just minding my own business trying to get to work when a woman in a black Lexus brought out the worst in me <laughs> I was trying to park in a garage in downtown Washington DC which is a challenge I have little time to get to the garage after dropping off my daughter at school and if I'm a minute late the price goes up from $14 to $21 time is of the essence <laughs> Once you get to the garage, it doesn't matter which side of the street you're on, you have to wait your turn to get in. Everybody understands that. Everybody but the lady in the black Lexus, apparently. I was patiently waiting my turn when she drove up, ignored everyone in line, and zipped right up to Tony, the friendly security guard, who checked her ID and let her go. That surprised me because he normally doesn't allow cutting in line. When I drove up to Tony, looked at me with a defeated expression and said, Bro, she's been doing that for years. There's no use in trying to stop her. She won't listen. Her sense of entitlement made me angry, and as I pulled up behind her, I imagined how great it would feel to ram into the back of her car. There's no way I would do that, but something more tempting was the thought of seeing her in the garage and saying something like, you know, I can't imagine what a nightmare it would be to be married to you. Ouch. As I parked my car, the Holy Spirit pricked my conscience and showed me something. By reacting to the woman in the Lexus, I had actually become like her, mm -hmm. maybe even worse. As the old British preacher Oswald Chambers once said, if I see the little speck in your eye, it means that I have a plank of timber in my own. Every wrong thing that I see in you, God finds in me. Every time I judge, I condemn myself. Stop having a measuring stick for other people. There's always at least one more fact which we know nothing about in every person's situation. Maybe that woman rushes in the, into the garage because she's got a chronic digestive issue and needs to get to the bathroom. Or maybe she's just rude. Either way, the thing I need to pay attention to isn't so much what she's doing, but a bigger problem for me, how eager I am to assess dissect and put people like her in their place. People like that woman are actually a blessing to me. Their ability to provoke me to imagine things like ramming into the back of her car and telling her off 
is like an x-ray into my soul. It's opportunity for the Holy Spirit to say, hey, in case you haven't noticed, you've got issues with pride, resentment, and unforgiveness. I've allowed this person in your life to bring those out so you'll realize how badly you still need to learn from me every day. So let's rejoice when we get unpleasantly blessed by people like the lady in the black Lexus. They've been sent to reveal, for better or worse, what's really going on inside of us. And regardless of whether those people ever change, Jesus can use them to bring changes in us that might never have happened otherwise. <laughs> such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Verse 13. We make these same assumptions. And I'm going to say something in a minute. There. But <clears throat> we set our own schedule. Look what he said. Today or tomorrow. <clears throat> we select our own path. We will go to a such and such city. 
Three, we set our own limits. We'll spend a year there. Four, we'll arrange our own activities. We'll engage in business. And five, we'll predict our own outcome. We'll make a profit. Now, planning, God gave us a brain. Planning is quite all right. We live by calendars. I do. You know. This book was before I had a smartphone. And in the front of it, I've got every phone call, or every phone that I would imagine doing. I've got the company phone roster. I've got <laughs> the profit margins that I needed to plan. <laughs> uh, it's just full of information. All of that now. And, and yet, there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be responsible. Yet we also need to know that we do not have total control of our lives. Turn to Matthew. Luke, I'm sorry, Luke, the 12th chapter. Luke, the 12th chapter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the 12th chapter. <coughs> Beginning with verse 13. If your Bible is in red, most of this is in red. Someone in a crowd said to him, Teacher, tell your brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me as a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. Verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat drink and be merry. Verse 20. God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So it is with a man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's look again at verse 16, 17, and 18. The man 
had a ground that was very productive. Verse 17, he reasoned to himself, he says, what shall I do with my crops? I have no place to store them. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build greater ones so I will store my grain and all my goods. So far, so good, right? He's planning ahead that he may do with what he has in crops. But his attitude got the best of him in verse 19. So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God says, you don't know. You don't know. Tonight, your soul will be taken from you. You see the difference? You see our planning is okay? But when we don't say and acknowledge that the Lord is Lord of everything we do and say, we don't have a prayer. We don't have a prayer. In 1969, Paul Anka wrote a song. And until 1998, when Frank Sinatra died, My Way was one of his greatest hits. Nice tune. I like Frank Sinatra singing. I like what he sang. Probably My Way and New York. New York was two of the best ones to keep ever did to the masses. But think of what we just read about James and what Paul Anker wrote. And it reflects the time, the 60s that were going on. But it hadn't changed today these years later. It's still the same. And now, the end is near. So I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full, traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. I'm standing here today on the shoulders of those who've gone before me. I was born into a godly home. For that, I'm eternally grateful. My grandparents on both sides, mothers, dad and mother, and dad, dad and mother, were godly people. And I stand on their shoulders. I didn't do it my way. Every turn in my life, I can see God's movement. 1988, I came to South Carolina without a job. Well, <laughs> they promised me a job for six months, and I worked for 20 years. So that was good. I did it my way. 
second stanza. Regrets, I've had a few, but then too few to mention. I did what I had to do. Look at these next four lines. And saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, so much more than this. I did it my way. Look at the fourth stanza. I've loved, I've laughed and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it oh so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way. No, no, not me. I did it my way. Now this last stanza is where it really kicks me in the gut. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blow and did it my way. In contrast to what the song is, and I understand, I'm making, I'm making a parallel here between what James says. He says, you you can plan, but understand you are just a puppet, so to speak, that the Lord is in control. And he sums it up in verse <clears throat> in verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For such a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes away. We all know stories of people and family and dear loved ones that everything was going great. Then they weren't here. My classic example of this, Belt and I were in Dallas when Kennedy was killed. Art was a baby. Great personal wealth from the Kennedy family. Commander-in-chief of the greatest armed forces in the country. And yet when that bullet split the back of John Kennedy's head, it only mattered one or two things. Did he know Jesus? Or did he not know Jesus? That was it. He didn't plan on meeting the Lord on that day in Dallas. Life is a vapor. And we best say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. Verse 16 comes back to this thing of, of um, our attitude. He said, but as it is, your boast in your arrogance. 
and such boasting is evil. Verse 17, and winds up chapter 4. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let that soak in a minute. If you know the right thing to do and don't do it, James's brother, or the Lord's brother said, it's sin. It's sin. Attitude. <clears throat> Judging our, our brother. <coughs> Realizing that we're just here for a short time. And if we know to do good and do it not, it's sin. James said when he kicked off the book, he says, you need to work and show your faith. If you're God's child, we need to act like it. That's the thrust of the whole thing. Well, we'll pick up next week in chapter 5. And like I say, we'll go part of the way of chapter 5. We'll pause for Easter and then we'll the I'll be glad when we get out of James. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's tough. Especially when you mold over it all week and read it and read it and read it. The Lord deal with it. Well, we're grateful to have um, Brent and Emily Phillips with us today, so come listen to them and, and uh, Bring them on as a new staff member, and we're looking for great things. Again, like a lot of things we said when Pastor Twitty came, uh, he doesn't have it all in a in a sock, and he's just going to open it up and give it to us. We're going to have to buckle up and do what we need to do to make things work. Things are going really, really great at Covenant, and I'm so grateful, so grateful uh, for the way. Anything we need to add? Any anything you need to add? You got two minutes. I just like to thank everybody for all the prayers and the cards. The Lord has been with me. I came this close to being a vapor, <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of brings what's important. Yeah. Well, but a few months ago. Parents got up to go to the bathroom. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, we thank you for being here. Thank you for loving the church. And thank you for loving one another. And uh, we'll be dismissed from this place. <laughs>